Our Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we'll read the chapter together, and we're particularly thinking of Paul's prayer in verses 14 to 18. But let's read from the beginning of the chapter, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, and reading through the chapter. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and the prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. As Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus, I want you to see from the verses that we've read in chapter 3, and particularly verses 14 to 19, that Paul's prayer is a Trinitarian prayer. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, he prays that you be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, the Holy Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Father, Spirit, Son. So for some, the doctrine of the Trinity, that there is one God in three persons, is something just theoretical or abstract, no significance for daily life. Some, things, some think it's better left to theologians in London, seminary in an ivory tower. But actually, this truth about God in three persons shapes 
Paul's prayer. The doctrine of the Trinity works itself into the way Paul prays. He prays to the Heavenly Father, who has received us into his family as children by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He prays that the Holy Spirit would strengthen believers with might. He prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. So the work of the Father and the Spirit and the Son all converge, come together, working salvation for the glory of God and for our everlasting good. So belief in the Trinity is not just some theoretical idea that Paul has. It's at the heart of his prayer. And when we pray, we come to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit forms the Son in us. The Spirit enables us to cry, Abba, Father. The Father exalts the Son in our eyes. The Son exalts the Father in our eyes. And the three persons then, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, work to this same goal of salvation. It takes the whole Trinity to save a sinner like you or me. So as we analyze something of Paul's powerful prayer tonight, let's first of all think about his prayer that believers might know strength. Paul prays that God would grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. So let me remind you, Paul's prayer is not tonight, Lord, if you are able, Lord, if you have might, Lord, if you have power. No, he's praying that God would grant this prayer according to his riches in glory. Here's a striking prayer of the Apostle Paul. It gives us something of a window into Paul's heart. We see something of what Paul longed for in the lives of the people that he had preached the gospel to that they would be strengthened with might in the inner man. So the Apostle Paul is saying the Christian life is about God's mercy in bringing salvation. That if you're a Christian tonight, you've cried out to God for forgiveness of sin, and God has brought you into his family by faith in Jesus Christ. But God doesn't do that and then say, now you're on your own. Now I've cleaned you up, do the best you can. Now you're saved, it's all over to you. No, says Paul, not just at the beginning of the Christian life, but the whole Christian life is a matter of dependence upon God divinely supplying strength. He prays the Holy Spirit would strengthen us with power to live the Christian life. Now that's very important for us to understand. There's never a moment in the Christian life when we're not dependent upon God. We need his strength. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, to begin the work in us, to bring us to new life and faith in Jesus Christ. But day by day that the Spirit would strengthen and work in us that we may live the Christian life. And for that we need divinely supplied strength. Paul prays that we be strengthened with might through the Spirit. Paul's prayer is not that you would look into yourself to find some native strength that you naturally have to live the Christian life. There are many so-called Christian teachers who adopt what is basically a pagan 
outlook and worldview. And they say something like this. They say, well, you have to look within yourself and awaken the power that's naturally in you. You need to unleash the latent energy that you have. Or you need to discover the inner champion in you and then you'll be able to live the Christian life. That's not the Apostle Paul's message. I was in Nigeria and I was driving along with a friend in the car. He was driving me along. And there was a church with a sign, this is a church for winners. I said to my friend Oliver, I said, is it a church here for losers? So if you think, oh, I'm proud, I'm a winner, I can make it on my own. Why do you need God then? But when we need our sense our need for forgiveness at the beginning of the Christian life, but also Paul is saying, look, to live the Christian life day by day. It's not by your own inner strength. You need God's strength and power. So you don't look in yourself, says Paul, for natural power to live the Christian life. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. The help we need is not natural, it's supernatural. It comes from God. So over and again in the Christian life, the Bible tells us, yes, when you first become a Christian, God by the Holy Spirit works in your life. But there's an ongoing need for the supply of divine strength. And the more we know about our struggles with sin... The more we know the way the world, the flesh, and the devil work against us, the more we understand we need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Paul says we need to be strengthened with might. That power does not come from within us. It's not natural. It comes from the Holy Spirit. But then Paul goes on to say, strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. By man there, he's including men and women. There is an inner man, says Paul, and there is an outer man. We are living at a time when people, by and large in our society, are far more interested in the outer man than they are. They have concerns, if at all, about the inner man. But says the Bible, our outer man is fading away. Every day, as we get older, the outer man feels more and more there are aches and pains in the body that weren't there a year or two ago. Sometimes I feel in my shoulders the aches and pains of playing rugby in school a long time ago, but now and again, there are one or two aches and pains in these shoulders. And I feel the need for more exercise, although I find I don't have the time to do the exercise I need to do. But we live in a society which is very concerned about the outer man. Spend your time in the outer man. And even that outer man takes a bit longer than it used to to get going in the morning. But Paul is praying, strengthened with might in the inner man. That's a a very Pauline phrase found only in the New Testament. Paul uses it. He's saying the focal point of the center of your life the inner person, at that central heart, if you like, of the Christian life. That's where the Holy Spirit does his strengthening work, the inner man. And sometimes Paul contrasts the inner and the outer man. Therefore, we do not lose heart, he writes to the Corinthians, even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 
is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There's this contrast between the outer man and the inner man. And Paul contrasts the outer man, aging, fading, with the inner man, which is being renewed day by day. So all the focus of our culture is on the outer man. Material belongings, appearance, well-being. And there's a huge neglect of the inner man, that part which is eternal. Yes, the Christian hope is that one day these bodies that are fading will be raised with resurrection power. Be like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And reunited with our souls forever. And yes, at our prayer meetings we pray for one another. And it's appropriate that we pray for one another. We have friends who are fighting against various diseases. There are physical illnesses. But there needs to be this biblical concern too, says Paul, for the inner man, strengthened with might in the inner man. From the heart issue, the springs of life. So Paul wants a heart, an inner man, the seat of our thinking, to be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit. Some of you may have had this experience. I, I've been visiting an elderly lady. Her name is June, and she's in a care home now. And the outer man is fading away. And sometimes now when I go to see her, she doesn't recognize, she doesn't know who it is who's come to visit her. But if I start reading the Bible to her, June, I say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. She's with me straight away. See, the outer man is fading. And the memory's not so good. But the inner man. And if I say to her, Joan, let's sing. Let's sing a hymn. A sovereign protector I have, unseen yet forever at hand. What's happening? The inner man is being renewed. Paul's saying, when we're praying for one another, yes, we can pray for the outer man. But let's also remember that we're facing the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil. Let's pray that God, by his mighty power, would strengthen the inner man. That in the deepest part of our being, even as this outer shell is fading, that we would be aware of the heartbeat of a Christian. Paul is praying for these believers in Ephesus. He is a man, the Apostle Paul, who knows all the pressure of life in the outer man. Paul had been beaten up. Paul had been persecuted. Paul had been deprived. He's writing this letter. He's in prison in Rome. Yet he prays that God would strengthen them with might through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. So let's pray for one another in that way, says the Apostle Paul. Strengthened with might in the inner man. So strength, the second thing, faith. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. The purpose of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts is that Christ may dwell with us, says Paul. Now some friends say, first get Jesus and then later on you get the experience of the Holy Spirit. But notice the Apostle Paul says here that the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart is that Christ would dwell in you. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring that awareness of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the one you trust in wholeheartedly for salvation, to form Christ in you. Some people buy houses that are what are called fixer-upper houses. For me, it's not such a good idea. If I bought a fixer-upper house, it would be waiting a long time before it got fixed up. I'm not a fixer-upper. But some people are more practical. You know, they're good at fixing things up. The living room needs fixing up. Kitchen, all out of date, needs fixing up. Bathroom needs fixing up. All the old things taken out. New bathroom. And some people buy houses and they fix them up. And as they fix the house up, it bears the marks of their personality, their tastes, their preferences. And I go to one or two people who've bought a house that's a fixer-upper house. And I can see, when I go to see the house, I can see, ah, their stamp is on the house. Something of their personality and tastes. You can see they've been living there two, five, ten years. And when Christ is formed in your heart by the Holy Spirit, says the Apostle Paul, if someone were to look inside at the heart, would the person say, this place looks like Jesus? The desires of this heart are Jesus' desires. The loves of this heart are Jesus' loves. The things that Jesus hates, this heart hates. Here's a heart that loves the Savior. It bears that characteristic. Let's pray for one another like that, says the Apostle Paul, that that will be the heartbeat of the Christian. Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, make these Christians in their hearts that Christ would dwell in their hearts. How? Through faith. By faith. Yes, you become a Christian when you begin to trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. And you continue to walk and live the Christian life by faith. Now, that means... That doesn't mean we do nothing in the Christian life. There are lots of things in the Christian life that are important for our spiritual health and well-being. We're not to forsake the gathering together of ourselves, for example, to worship God. There are habits and disciplines in the Christian life that are important. But Paul is emphasizing particularly here faith. We're dependent on God's power. And the Christian life, says Paul, works... We receive the Spirit's power by faith when we are reminded that as we continue in the Christian life, we are dependent day by day on God. One of the maturing phases of the Christian life is the realization we walk by faith. We trust God who is in control of everything. After the service this morning, somebody was mentioning to me that phrase at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Someone was mentioning to me that would be a great prayer to pray in the prayer meeting this week that people, even in prison, would come to know Jesus Christ. That actually Paul, as he thinks of his situation, he's not a prisoner of the Roman emperor, he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's who's ultimately sovereign and in control of his life. Faith recognizes dependence upon God. We are not sovereign. The Christian life is lived with confidence and joy when we realize God is sovereign. 
There is a God, our Father, who loves us, has given his Son for us. We do not control our own destiny. We don't control our circumstances and our situation. But God is sovereign. And Paul emphasizes the Spirit's power and Christ's indwelling work in the heart by faith. Is your faith tonight in Jesus Christ for salvation? And are you seeking to live and walk day by day, live the Christian life walking not by sight? We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are unseen. We walk by faith. Faith is an ongoing aspect to growing as a Christian. So strength, faith, and love. A life rooted and grounded in God's love, says Paul. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's language is striking here. He uses a botanical term, rooted. You come and visit Kensit Evangelical Church in Finchley and you park in the church car park. At the edge of the church car park, there's a massive cedar tree. A cedar of Lebanon. The roots spread out everywhere. They're breaking the car park up a bit. That extensive root system of that massive cedar tree. At the bottom of the street, there's a block of flats. The other term that he uses here is architectural, grounded. Rooted, like a great cedar tree. Grounded, like a skyscraper. In London, there are some huge skyscrapers. Some people say the foundations in some of those skyscrapers go down almost as high as the buildings go up. That you have a life rooted in the love of God, says Paul. Founded in the love of God. Now, why does Paul write like this? Well, he knows that it's the power of God that roots us and grounds us in the love of God. The love that Paul is talking about is God's love through Jesus Christ. It's the love God has shown us in adopting us to himself through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the love that God has richly given us in sending his son into the world. His dearly loved son. The one who by his death on the cross brings us forgiveness of sins. The love of God that has raised us from spiritual death to new life in Jesus Christ. Not because we deserved it or earned it, but because God loved us. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. We sang about it. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. So Paul says God dwells in the hearts of believers now by his spirit through faith. And as we are rooted and grounded in Christ, so we come more and more to understand the love of God. Let's pray for one another. That we will be rooted and grounded. And here's a truth that we can so easily forget, says Paul. That we live the Christian life by faith. And as we trust in Jesus Christ, so we come to see something of the width and length and height and depth of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can t almost take it for granted. The love of God towards those who are undeserving. Now people sometimes will speak to me about ways in which they can 
know something of this love of God in Jesus Christ. And they come at it from an angle which is quite different from what Paul is laying down here. So some come at this with the idea that in the elements of bread and wine, as in the Roman Catholic sacrifice of the Mass, that's how Christ dwells with us. It's no longer about being strengthened by the Spirit and Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. That was a major point of the Reformation. It's central to the way we come to God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul doesn't say that Christ may dwell in your hearts by the sacraments, but by faith. Another alternative that now comes from a very different direction, it's becoming more and more popular in Protestant churches, is the way that people speak about Christian music. Now, I like Christian music. I like singing hymns. But one music publisher puts it like this, by worship songs we lead people into God's presence and create the atmosphere where people are open to the Holy Spirit. Christ dwells in our hearts by music. No, says Paul. Not by the sacraments, not by music. There's a right place for the sacraments, and there's a right place for music. But what Paul is saying here is, by faith. We don't bring God's presence down to us by some formula whether it's in a a mass setting in the Roman Catholic Church or through the experience of worship music. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts that Christ will dwell in our hearts, not by the sacraments, not by the music, but by faith. That's the whole purpose, actually, of the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. It's the purpose of music in our corporate worship. We lift up our hearts to God, And we exercise faith. Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. In the the Lord's Supper, we lift up our hearts to the Lord in faith. He draws near to us by the Holy Spirit. As we worship God, as we sing, we lift up our hearts to God in faith. He draws near to us by the Holy Spirit. But we exercise faith. So because Christ has died, because Christ has risen, because Christ is coming again, and God's Spirit is at work in us to strengthen us, to cause Christ to dwell in us by faith, Paul says it's through faith we have an awareness increasingly of Christ's love that passes knowledge. Here's a phrase that stretches our minds. Paul says that you may be able to comprehend, to understand with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. To have a knowledge of Christ's love that passes knowledge. That takes some getting around, doesn't it? Paul is saying he wants you as a believer to have a real, personal understanding and experience of the incomparable love of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying we need to know something of that power, to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because naturally, in our experience, we are rebels against God. And even in the Christian life, some who are listening online, some who are here tonight in this congregation, there are times when Satan whispers in our ears and the doubts and fears arise. And we begin to imagine 
Am I still loved by God? For some, it's a pattern of sin. For some, it's a particular sin that makes them feel they can never approach God in a right way. They carry around an unresolved sense of guilt. How can I go into God's presence when that sin is still there? How could God possibly accept me? How could he possibly love a sinner? How can I have fellowship with God when I come with my sins? But the Apostle Paul is saying, for a real personal experience of the love of God in Jesus Christ, which means our sins are cleansed, and we have a righteousness from God which is by faith, that we can come to God and experience something of the boundless love of Christ, that we do not need to hide from God but may experience the height and depth and length and breadth of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Don Carson has written a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. It's a great book. He tells in the book an account of a colleague of his at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, a seminary in Chicago. His colleague Perry Downs and his wife uh, were foster parents. At the time he wrote his book, they'd had about 20 children as foster children in their home. They would stay with them a while, and then eventually they'd be placed in adoptive families. On one day, Perry Downs and his wife were called. We've got a difficult situation. This is not a newborn baby. There are two boys, twin boys, but they're 18 months old. But would you be willing to foster them for about six weeks? Would you be able to t- willing to take them in? And they said, sure, sure, we'll, we'll send them, we'll take them in. There's one thing, the boys have been badly treated in the homes where they've lived. They've lived in nine different homes, even though they're only 18 months old. They've been damaged. Oh, said Perry Downs and his wife, we'll take them, send them. So these two little boys, 18 months old, twins, come to Perry and his wife's home, and they put them to bed. And they heard something very strange. Two 18-month-old little boys, first night, new home. Nothing. Not a sound. They thought, this is strange, that's curious. Two 18-month-old little boys, not a sound. So they went down the hall, they peeped into the boys' bedroom. They were in bed with pillows over their faces and they were crying their eyes out. But they covered their faces with pillows so that no one would hear a sound. And when they found out why, it's because in some of the homes where they'd been, if they made a sound, they were beaten. The twin boys stayed with them, not for six weeks or even six months, but for over a year. And they were placed in a, in a loving, adoptive, adoptive home. But when the social workers and the psychologists met with the foster parents, they said, this is amazing. These little boys are now responding emotionally like healthy children. What has happened to these two little boys? Well, what had happened to them, they'd experienced the love of parents as God intended. 
and the love of parents as God has intended, had intended had changed them. And the Apostle Paul is saying, we need to experience the love of Christ. Yes, when you become a Christian and you entrust yourself to the Savior to begin the Christian life. But in an ongoing way to experience the love of Christ. Because so often we want to put a pillow over our face and say, I've sinned, I can't come to God. God seems far away. Put a pillow over my face. I didn't do what I should have done this last week. I can't come to God. Put a pillow over my face. Look at the way I spoke to that person this last week. I can't come to God. And Paul is saying, you can take the pillow away because in Jesus Christ you can come to God as your heavenly father. And you can experience his love for you. The best earthly love is just a pale shadow reflection of the great love of God in Jesus Christ. You can come to God. You don't need to put a pillow over your face. Through Jesus Christ, you can approach him. And Paul says, as you approach God through Jesus Christ, the guilt, the shame, the fear, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, you'll be able to comprehend, begin at least to understand what is the width and length and breadth and depth and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you can come to God. Now you can't come without Jesus Christ, without a saviour, but in Jesus Christ you can come to God as your father tonight and we're praying that God will enable us to comprehend something of this amazing reality. That Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. To comprehend the love of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this amazing reality of your love towards us in the Saviour, Jesus Christ. The one who cleanses our sins. The one who takes away our guilt and shame and fear. Assures us of the love of God which passes knowledge. How amazing this is. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in Jesus Christ should not perish but have everlasting life. Or may we grasp something of the amazing reality of this love. And being rooted and grounded in that love of God in Jesus Christ. Christ dwelling in our hearts by the Spirit. May we be so rooted and grounded to be able to understand something of that love of Christ which passes knowledge. And all over as we come, strengthen us with all might in the inner man that we may live for Christ tonight and this week ahead. So help us. We come in all our weakness and need. But we thank you for all sufficient Saviour. And we pray for his presence and grace and help tonight and for this week ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.